Hey, hi everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond Eight Figures. This is AJ, the journeyman entrepreneur with another Beyond Eight Figure episode for you. On the show, we talk with top entrepreneurs about the realities of building an eight-figure business, what success really means to them, and hear from them about some of their winning strategies and tactics. Tune in to each episode to learn how to grow your business beyond 10 million, and more importantly, create your own personal legacy. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Beyond Eight Figures. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We have an amazing interview with Hannah Mayan, the CEO and co-founder of Magic Bell, a Y Combinator-backed plug-and-play notification inbox for app developers. Basically, it's an amazing tool that many app developers I know use within their products. It was kind of cool when I was like, oh, wait, I know people using this. Hannah has had a great, amazing entrepreneurial journey. She's one of the few people I know who has so approached her efforts in a way that I think I've and many others ad hocly. So often we talk about this idea of just creating a business because there was only way we knew how to get along and survive. And then eventually, you know, we create things or we grow that business and Savannah. Hannah will talk in this episode a little bit about how she has moved through the three levels and not at first, but over time, she developed this process of where she wanted to go from sustainability ramen level. I maybe geeked out a little bit and got really excited about talking about ramen. But at that time, just going from sustainability to then her next business, moving into financial freedom, not FU money, as she'll say, but into that financial freedom that gave her the flexibility to travel and do more of the things she wanted to do. And we'll talk about that and, you know, kind of importance. And then now to what she's doing with Magic Bell, which is really interesting. Why she's gone through Y Combinator. She's got a lot of great backing for this. So really looking to scale and swing the fences with this new one and what that will mean. And one of the things that I found so interesting is many of us, ad hoc, we kind of approach it. And sometimes we start and then realize there's more as we go. But I like how she wanted to sustain her life. She wanted to you know, take care of things. And then as she was able to successfully do that, not living amazing, but still be able to do it, she realized there was more and started building the plans to kind of go to this next level and then to the next and next what I find then when she talks about the thing that really is important that she learned from that kind of journey was how it became not easier, but more important to clearly define the goals that she had for the company and for herself, both for how she was, what she wanted to do, but then also what she needed to do for the company. And that's a really cool thing because I still... 20 plus years into this effort of trying to be an entrepreneur, I still have difficulty in making the madness in my head into clear, translatable communication around what I'm trying to do to, to communicate to my teams and the people I'm working with. And her discussion around that it really kind of resonated with me because it is so important and it does get somewhat easier, but I think it is more that it becomes more clearly important because you recognize that the repetition and that communication effort to clearly define this 
adds an extra layer of bringing things further, faster, more. And then how that breaks down more clearly to what your team needs to be doing and what you need to be doing. Also, I think you'll find it really interesting how she'll talk about how different areas of the world where she's lived and where she has kind of looked, you know, build her businesses in different areas, how those different cultures have led to different styles of not just her own business, but what it means for her personally and living the type of life as she's the first trans woman to go through Y Combinator and how living in Colombia to Barcelona, both, you know, connected with her personally, but then also for her business efforts and the types of businesses she has been able to develop. And as she looks to continue scaling, the type of thoughts that go in between staying in Barcelona to looking at larger, more tech-focused cities. So it's an interesting conversation that I've had also with a lot of other entrepreneurs. We can create businesses anywhere and be anywhere to do this. But at a certain point, there is certain areas that have either easier networking or better access to finance and other things. It's all possible everywhere. But you know, as you kind of go through your levels of your company, there's just some areas where it just feels easier, some locations. So it's really interesting to kind of discuss it with someone who is going through this and is building such a great company. So look... Let's get into this with Hannah Mahan, CEO and co-founder of Magic Bell. Hello, Hannah. Thank you so much for joining us today on the show. I'm really excited to have you here today. Yeah, likewise, AJ. Thanks for inviting me. I'm excited too. Well, yeah, since I'm a little jealous that you're in one of my favorite cities in the world right now, up in Barcelona, you know, up the coast for me. I've been going through your experiences of Magic Bell and you know what you're doing, and you know really, really impressed with everything. Where do you see yourself as an entrepreneur now? I've been an entrepreneur for about 15 years now, and I would say I've had like three distinct phases. First was just I was excited to build products, and I just didn't want to be at a job, and I wanted to be self-sufficient, and my ambition was like pretty low. I just wanted to make like sustenance, like literally. My goal was to make ramen money. It wasn't a stop on the journey. It was actually the goal. And so I achieved that. And then I realized actually ramen money isn't sustainable. So then I moved on to the second venture, which is Support B, uh, a SaaS startup. And I ended up actually achieving a decent bit of financial independence, not a few money, but just like good financial independence and was able to travel the world, uh, you know, understand myself and learn a lot. And I'd say now I'm in my like third phase as an entrepreneur, which is I really want to have like massive scale. I think I've also learned what it takes to build software businesses. It takes a lot and I have the opportunity to like swing for the fence this time. So it's very much about like swinging for the fence, having a massive outcome for myself, for my team. And in some ways I've told myself that especially if I achieve any kind of success this time, I'd probably like not do another startup. I would do something else later which also helps me kind of give this everything I've got instead of sort of holding anything back and thinking, I can always do this again. I like that, you know, and as someone who used to bulk buy ramen in pallet levels back in, their, in one of my first startups, I do remember that day very, very much. I like that. And I like how you're pouring, you know, you're focusing by putting everything in to kind of not hold back. But how has like, 
how do you think your approach to being an entrepreneur now that you've gone from like, you know, ramen money to general, you know, you've had that success with the millionaire company, but now you have this greater opportunity, obviously a higher level of complexity, broader range, et cetera. How is your approach to being an entrepreneur changing? I'd say the biggest difference is that I'm a lot more focused on the goal and the goal being actually growth and sustainable growth. What I mean by sustainable growth is not like a spurt of growth here and there, but actually getting onto a trajectory where you're making millions of dollars and then able to double or triple each year. And I used to always think that that's just a side effect of building a good product or being in a good market. And maybe some of that is true. Personally, for me, what I realized is that you achieve what you focus on. So I would say the biggest difference is now I focus on that growth, on that number a lot more than I ever used to. I don't just assume that if I build a good product, it will happen. If I just do X, this will follow. Like So the goal is much more clearly defined this time. And I think a lot of that comes from our experience, you know, from your experience of like, okay, you've seen how things happen. You know, I like how you reference, you know, you're not just going to expect it to happen. You're going to put the processes in place. I always laugh because it's like a lot of, you know, when you talk to entrepreneurs, you can always tell very quickly, like where they have achieved because it's like, oh yeah, I'm doing this and then we're going to try this. And then I'm like, okay, so you're still early. It's like when someone starts referencing the processes and stuff, it's like, oh, you've been beaten up already. You know, <laughs> you know how this experience goes. Absolutely. I think it's a double-edged sword because obviously, like, you know, as you get more experience, you also get more cynicism. You have like more rich. So, you know, you want to keep a bigness mind. So it's a, it's a fine balance, I think. What do you do to kind of keep that beginner's mind in this process? I'd say one, I read a lot now, which I didn't back in the day. I listen to a lot of podcasts, which is obviously the rage right now, but I try to be a little bit more selective about what I'm listening to. A lot of podcasts can be pretty repetitive in terms of the knowledge they're giving. But also I try to angel invest a little bit and talk to other startups. So sometimes I'd be having this conversation and be giving someone some advice. And then I would realize that actually I should be listening to this advice myself. Or like they would bring me some insight, which kind of goes counter to what I know. And then I would learn from that. I'd say most of my angel investing is actually directed towards learning right now. I'm like pretty much, I don't have any grand thesis. I do have a little bit of a thesis, but mostly just learning from people that I'm interested. You know, I I think they are smart. And so that's probably the biggest way to do it. I think the YC community has been pretty instrumental in that. Like there's always people who are doing it better, faster, cheaper in a more distinct way. So you're constantly being challenged like that. And I think at least for me, I don't know, it's for everybody. But one thing that has been talked about a lot is like, we talk a lot about growth, right? And that you should always be growing. But I think one thing that isn't often talked about is that for a lot of people, myself for sure, growth in the moment can be quite painful. It would be just so much easier if like our assumptions kind of worked. And so I think it's a painful process, but it's enjoyable in the long term, I would say. But in the moment, it can be a bit painful, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, it, yes, I fully agree. I mean, both sides. It's like growth and not, you know, and the growth shrinkage. I don't know what the term would be. But yeah, in one in business, it is that period where you go through and then you're like afterwards, like, wow, that is actually kind of cool. Well, when you reach out, you know, I'm going to kind of play because. As an angel investor also, I love being in situations where, 
you know, I can bring skills to bear in the companies that I'm investing in help and grow. But I like that you have that extra filter on this where you're trying to bring the beginner's mind and learn because, you know, I know for myself, I'm always like, Oh yeah, I can tell someone one, two, three, the 15 things in their marketing is the, you know, my background that they're doing wrong. Yeah. I know when I look at my own stuff, it's like, Oh, where do I start? It's that kind of like, it's easier to tell someone else than to do it yourself. Do you have a filter you use or a process you use to make sure you're, you're learning from this experience since this is such a, yeah, impact on you? I would say I definitely read all the updates these companies send and most of the learning happens through updates and conversations on the updates. So I definitely make it a point to read through all these updates. I also make it a point to, and this is not about learning, but just sending a note back to all the investments I've made whenever they send me an update, telling them what I think is going great, offering any suggestions. Like as an entrepreneur myself, it's always really nice when my angels reply to my emails. So most of that learning, I would say, is centered around their updates. Like recently, I invested in a company that started doing some enterprise sales. And I learned a lot from them in terms of like, okay, how are they approaching it? How are they pricing it? And uh, to be honest, I had actually never done any enterprise sales. And then we were able to navigate some of our own enterprise deals that way. So I don't think there's any bigger process yet. Again, like, I wish I was a little bit more diligent about it where I wrote a notion summary of like a thesis or why I invested and what I'm learning. And I plan to do that at some point, but I just haven't been able to get to it yet. I know. It's like every time I read those things like, oh, always do like an investment, you know, analysis. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of depends on the mood and where my crypto stock and where my, my crypto funds are at this moment. Building that practice, I think, is really important. And that's a cool, you know, since you do focus on the beginner's mind so much, is there something that you feel has helped you so much in this, you know, in your new part of this journey with Magic Belt? Is there something that's helped your ability to be this entrepreneur? You know, I know you're talking with people, but what do you think has helped the most? Let me think about that for a second, because I want to think about what is it apart from just the caliber of people that now I have access to through Y Combinator through, and I have to say that's probably 90% of it. It's just, just the caliber of people that you hang out with that challenge you, that you talk to on a daily basis. Apart from that, I would say this is the first startup I've raised any money for, and that helps a lot, to be honest. Because I think I had I had a lot of good ideas before too, but I was very, very bottlenecked on what I could try. And surely like, you know, as a bootstrapped entrepreneur, you can have constraints and then you can make the constraints work as guardrails. And I buy into all of that, but sometimes it can be very constraining. Whereas your goal as a startup founder is not to make the most efficient startup. It is probably to make the biggest startup you can. So just the fact that this time I can trade off some of that efficiency and bring in more people into the team and have them run different experiments and learn from them. It's just like an environment where I'm challenged to expand my horizons more. And that in turn, I think it's good for the business. I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah. No, it does. I mean, it is that, what's that lovely line? With great constraints come great art. You know, it's this idea that you have tension in your structure. There can be too much, but you seem to be in that thing that it's 
it's helping you extend what you're capable of. That's why, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I would say I've bootstrapped for so long that that is kind of my soul anyway now. Like I think a lot about, you know, efficiency and high burn rate and things like that. But it is nice not to be bootstrapping. It's good to have that mindset, but actually have raised some money. Maybe just a quick sign and then... I mean, you were talking about, you know, from your other things, from going from Wildman to sort of like early success to now wanting to have this scalable opportunity. What went through your head in taking money in this thing? Was it like deliberately the whole point, you know, given your bootstrapping background? Or was this something that just sort of occurred because of the success you were having? I'd say a few things. One is that I had already built a SaaS startup for about 10 years on and off. So I also understood like the dynamics of SaaS startups where they are pretty front loaded in terms of investments. And then once you have this like flywheel running, and that's why they call it a flywheel because it is very heavy and big to get started. But once it runs, it has its own momentum and it keeps spinning. You realize that you make a lot more money like five years down the road or 10 years down the road. And so it actually does make sense to raise investment up front and pick up that velocity. So one was just that. Second, uh, I also realized it is very expensive to build software companies. Um, when you are starting out, you are just thinking of like how much you're going to see with a few engineers. What you don't realize is there's a cost to running the business, customer service, 100% uptime without burning out your team. I think you just get a lot more pragmatic about what it really takes. And there are always businesses that pick up that kind of revenue velocity within the first year or second year. They are... Quite unusual, to be honest. Like it actually does, like, especially when you're solving a complex problem, you have to build a very strong foundation before you can start building revenue on top of it. It just makes sense to raise money from that perspective too. And then finally, I would certainly love to have like a large outcome, both in terms of, you know, generating wealth for myself, for my team, as well as also generating wealth for the company so we can take on like more interesting problems. I want to work on something for the next 10, 20, 25 years. Like, for example, I was thinking over this weekend that Amazon has been running for 27 years and now they are doing like some really big things or in the last five years or so. And people forget just like how long it really takes to achieve that kind of momentum. No, I fully agree. It is this idea that, you know, so often the really cool companies start with something small and it's literally, it is not that that's the expanse of their goal and then it changes. It's just that it takes a long time to build things that actually work efficiently so you can start expanding upon you know, your dream here. Absolutely. And when you think of that and you think about like the future value of the business, then selling a small piece of it now to get working capital to get started actually makes a lot of financial sense. I would say the sort of religion of bootstrapping, as I'll call it, you know, the sort of very dogmatic like capital is evil and bootstrapping is a better way of life. I don't know if that's really rooted in in, in solid financial calculations. I think it, it works for a lot of people, but I also know a lot of bootstrapped entrepreneurs that, you know, that are working very hard and had they raised a few million dollars or something, they would be making a lot more progress now. And I mean, I was certainly one of them and I have some friends who are like that. And I mean, I was reading, I'm not sure which book, but even Jason Fried said that you know, if I get a really good offer, I would probably sell the business. Or it was a podcast, I think, with 20 VC. So everybody thinks about it like that. I think 
it's good to just not think of it as a religion where it's more like a tool that you pick for a certain period of your life and then you can drop it and pick another one. Yeah. At the end of the day, it is about the ability to develop your own capabilities. You've had this, you know, very impressive entrepreneurial, you know, journey here. So, you know, this is just when I was younger, you know, someone had once said, Oh, you know, you're a lowercase e entrepreneur if you've never raised money. And it's always kind of stuck on me. I disagreed. And yet at the same time, I do recognize that is that kind of like the big leagues to a certain degree. At the end of the day, it's what your journey takes you. But, you know, to be able to prove to others at such an early stage that you have what it takes to steward their money is pretty impressive. And that takes work. Yeah, I would say, you know, raising money is not easy, certainly not as a woman, certainly not as a minority founder. It's like selling, selling your vision, very similar to actually how you sell your vision to early customers, telling them to bet on your company when you're only like two people and like such a critical piece of your their infrastructure outsourced to your company. I'd say it's actually it's the same, right? Like if you've raised money, you know, it's basically like selling a dream of the future. It's not like borrowing money from somebody. It's it's getting people to buy into your vision. And it is a very interesting exercise in learning how the world kind of works, how the world of money works. And I think it helps as an entrepreneur just to have that perspective. Given, you know, you've talked about these successes and the things you're putting into it, what's something you feel that you either regret or, you know, you feel was a mistake on your part that other entrepreneurs can kind of learn or adapt from and incorporate into their own journey? I'd say very similar to the sort of like the bootstrapping religion is another religion that I see, which is like the inbound and self-service. And we don't have any salespeople. We don't do any sales religion. And I'd say I definitely suffered from that a lot. I would say the I bought a lot into the base camp philosophy. If you just do good work, they will find you. Just talk about it. They will come. Yeah, product-led growth and and this whole, ironically, even like this whole inbound marketing by HubSpot, even though they have like hundreds of people out there selling, GitHub has an inside sales team. Once you start digging in, Atlassian, they call them like some other experts. They don't call them salespeople because it's not cool to have salespeople. But I'd say this again, this kind of dogmatic insistence on not doing upmarket sales, not going through security reviews. I know of some friends who don't do it. I certainly didn't do it. I don't want, I don't know if it's a large trend now or not, but it certainly used to be. And I suspect it still is. And unfortunately, there just is so much money upmarket. There's such little churn upmarket that you better have a very strong reason for why you're not doing it. It simply can't be because it's inconvenient or it's out of your comfort zone. In looking at sort of the various, you know, efforts you've put, you know, and, you know, now that you're defining this as this big thing, how do you though, you know, and I know this is a difficult thing, as you kind of said before we started the show, it's like, well, anyone who is not defining it around their business is probably more just positioning themselves. I'm paraphrasing here. But like, how are you looking now that you've set these big goals for yourself and for, you know, your efforts here? Are you looking at what you as an entrepreneur could be? What success is going to look like for that? Not just the success of the business and this big exit, this potentially big exit that you're moving towards, but how are you going about looking at what success will be? Again, like we talked before, 
my identity and my success is very tied to the identity and the success of the business i don't say that the business is me but i am definitely you know a big part of my life is the business so i don't claim that magic bell is hana or anything like that what i claim is that a large part of hana is definitely magic bell and i'm quite okay with that right now i would say the financial success of the business and the impact on customers is definitely the number one way i would measure my success but in order to achieve that i mean that's like a kind of a lagging indicator i would say like in businesses right i would say the leading indicator in that is definitely the kind of quality of team i can build and if i can keep up with that team and like help them grow and one thing that i read recently is that people like you and me who have been successful in our lives as entrepreneurs we are rewarded for having a lot of the answers whereas once you are building a business like magic bell and you're growing the kind of team that we have you're actually rewarded for just bringing good questions to your team and encouraging them to find their own answers it's a huge paradigm shift for me right now and also as a ceo of a funded company especially that is like trying to grow trying to raise money make make the impossible kind of happen in a way every 6 months or so you are at a new job that you suck at and then you get better at it and then you hand it off to somebody else so it's almost like right like you have to become this person who can constantly learn do new things be okay be not being good at something forever so i would say like my growth as a person who can keep up with that kind of lifestyle is certainly one way i measure my success like startups are definitely a great reason for me to like stay fit mentally and physically so i have some of those like personal goals as well that you know can i just stop drinking and keep my mind clear and so some of those smaller goals as well as a human being i would say i would love to for us to achieve uh, a certain level of success and then be a more friendly workplace for minorities trans people i myself transgender and so i want to create uh, an environment for trans people offer the same kind of support that is offered for having kids or adopting them to trans people doing gender transitions or other people who are struggling with other things it's a lofty ambition but one we can definitely achieve the most scale we achieve you know ironically i don't know if you know but a lot of like trans people will go and start working at starbucks because the starbucks insurance is very inclusive yes i fully agree on those work that i remember back in the day in the US before they changed if someone had a partner not even extending all the way to trans right but like if someone had a legal partner but not married the insurance was taxed differently and it sounds really minor but for a lot of people that just that minor extra expense was a difficulty and just trying to figure it out you know and then extending this and extending it creating its environments because employees want to feel the same as the other employees they don't want to feel you know people don't want to feel like oh because of this i have different it's very important absolutely and i think we are also very fortunate to be working in these industries with huge gross margins that you know you can actually afford to take care of people and you can afford to set a precedent for other companies to follow so like one thing i like to tell people is it's not that since i'm trans myself we would never make any mistake when it comes to treating other minorities or trans people in the it's just that i have a more vested interest in the kind of diversity i'm building around myself has a more vested interest in fixing those problems and setting a good example but again i'm very clear that 
as a startup you have to be very pragmatic about the battles you pick and the world is quite unfair and it would be very silly of me to assume that a seed stage startup can create a very fair very just system right now and like pick those battles and fight them but again like as we achieve some scale that's why i'm so focused on it i'm very confident that we'd be able to do some pretty amazing things now just out of curiosity is sort of your being in barcelona is that because of the barcelona to me is sort of like that you know whenever i go there the great startup community wonderful quality of life yeah you know, it's a very open city it's a very you know it's a very vibrant you know kind of you know lisbon barcelona there's a few you know cities around new york before it got you know so super expensive that it's sort of the pinnacle of this is to a certain degree barcelona because of its you know its openness or why did you choose europe per se in barcelona specifically so i was in colombia before i moved to barcelona i was a bit of a restless soul before i started transitioning and realized that i'm trans i mean again like i keep mentioning this because it has had a huge influence on like you know how i perceive life or where life has taken me so i was in colombia and i started my transition in colombia was amazing like it was just the reason i think i even discovered that i'm trans and you know i i started transitioning there was because at least in medellin counter to all the perceptions people have about you know the city and the crime it was a very friendly place a very accepting and encouraging place for expressing femininity but at some point i felt that now that i know what i want in life i feel like more connected to my life i would just love to have a wider horizon and uh, i am from india i don't really have that many options to be honest and uh, spain was one of the visas i could achieve i was already speaking spanish and the funny thing is i'd actually never been to europe before even moving here so it was very much like this leap of faith and it worked out quite well i was in very ambitious at that point in my life i almost thought that my ambition was maybe overcompensation so the new me doesn't really care it's only after a f- two or three years of coming here that i started magic bell and got in touch with my ambition but like you said it's a great city to live in it's got an amazing quality of life it's got amazing access to europe like a lot of people go through barcelona you can meet up with them if i moved let's say i would move to maybe like london or new york or san francisco but again i don't think i would find a city that's overall better would be probably better in some respects and then definitely worse in some respects so i no longer feel that uh, i need to move i think it it would actually be very difficult to move from here if i had to you know it's funny because as a location independent you know coming I moved to Spain because its visas are for entrepreneurs are relatively easy relatively easy enough to get but like yeah it is that balance where if magic bell continues to grow you may find other opportunities slightly better but then again covid has messed it up in london or new york because and then obviously silicon valley but then you know it's like the cost structure and then the flow there's the culture that i remember from the early 90s and all that in all three cuz i lived in all three of those in silicon and new york and london is much different now because there's not as much young people you know or there is young people but it there's less opportunity to actually just not do you have to be working cuz they're so expensive i guess is what i'm trying to say <laughs> yeah and uh, also just to add to that kind of location independence point this is something i keep thinking about and i don't really have an answer yet and if 
any of your listeners want to find me on Twitter and reply to that, I would love to hear from you, is are we truly in a location-independent world or does location still matter once you get into thinner and thinner air of like bigger funding rounds and like larger burn rates and access to like bigger transactions and things like that. I have a feeling that it does matter still. Kind of going off. But yes, I do. I think some of it is your access and your ability to develop connections within different networks in places. I know people who have left those places and seem to be able to connect readily to those points. But then, yes, if you're coming into those, you know, or if you built somewhere else, it still is slightly difficult. Now, the nice thing is, I think that friction is reduced, though not disappeared. You know, I do think hearing more and more what was it? I was looking at some of the investment, you know, now this is early stage investments, but Silicon Valley's percentage decreased last year for the first time in a while. So while it's still generating huge amounts, other cities and then, um, you know, from an American point, uh, given that I am, international investments really had a really big increase. But true, the ease of doing those transactions kind of helped being in those places, at least to have a base. Yeah, again, I think one thing that I've learned in my entrepreneurial journey is that you have to also have a very good sense of uh, your baseline. So do you consider yourself like an insider founder? If you've already like been in the industry for 20 years, you've worked at like big name companies, your friends have actually moved on from those companies to venture firms, like friends or acquaintances, whatever. Let's say you have an in. Your life is in your perspective is very different. It's good to be realistic if you're a, you know, I don't want to generalize, but let's say if you're a woman, if you're a black woman, your access to those networks remotely might be more restricted. So it's just good to not like listen to like this kind of generic advice from anybody and like assess for your own self. I definitely think I'm an outsider going into the inside, I would say. Like, I don't quite consider myself an outsider anymore. I did before YC, but now I think I have some in, but not as much in as had I already spent 10 years in the Bay Area or something? Yeah, I mean, and that's without a doubt true. I mean, the one factor I do think is it, the amount of investments. There's some great funds and, you know, we'll connect on Twitter, but there are some funds that are really focused on non-traditional because of the alpha that's available. I mean, the funny thing is if all the traditional money is going after the same typical, you know, type of startups, then you have to, if you want to have any type of investment success, you have to find non-traditional. So that is helping expand it, but not as effective as it could be yet. Even as you say, so do you spend time going to London, to New York, to you know, trying to develop those networks for yourself too? I'm starting to now, I would say, like, yeah, especially London and then a little bit, I'm going to go to SF later this year. I'm personally more interested in London. I, I, it's something I wish, right? Like, I mean, I, I, I hope it's true that London is almost as good now because it just, it's so much easier to get there. I would, if I ever moved full time, I'll be closer to my family. You know, that's the thing about being a little bit older in your life. You can't be like single tracked. I wish I could be, but I have to think about my family and, uh, you know, my parents and all that. So I'm really hoping that London works out that way. 
from Barcelona, it, what, it's like a two hours. Yeah. Yeah. I have, um, I have a friend here on the coast who pre COVID would at least once a week just go take the super early morning and be on the late flight back. So once a week would be, you know, it's like, Oh my God, you're commuting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Living in Europe is, I don't know, compared to India. And then, well, you've lived as a digital nomad around, but like, to compare to America, where it's like, yeah, I can get from one city to the other. It's like that concept is just getting from one country to another. You have to change your thought process of traveling. Well, one of the things I do because I, you know, we've gone on some really cool things, and you know, thank you so much for you know sharing your experiences and so. I was very impressed with Magic Bell. So before you know, we kind of wrap up. I would love, given that we have so many business owners so many entrepreneurs with businesses that could use something like Magicville. Could you kind of maybe talk about, you know, what's the best way of looking at something like Magic Bell? Or when should a customer start thinking about something like Magic Bell? Because I really think a lot of the audience would really like to check it out for themselves. Absolutely. And thanks for the opportunity to talk about it. I'd say the default that has existed so far for businesses is that whenever a business wants to communicate with the user about like, you know, any step in the product or any kind of announcement, the default is to send an email. And we are trying to change that. We're saying instead of just sending an email, you should send an in-app notification. If it's not seen by your user, then you can send an email or a Slack. But what you should default to is a multi-channel notification. And even sending email is so easy now because of companies like SendGrid or Mailgun. And what we are trying to do is we are building a very similar API, but it works across all these channels. So if you're an entrepreneur and you just have email notifications, or if you're just starting out and you just want to skip the whole email step and just go multi-channel, Magic Bell can help immensely. I'm happy to also see you know some open source projects and other things come up in the industry as well. I think the trend of starting with in-app and then doing email or other channels is here to stay. It's going to grow. And it, it works really well for your users. It works well for you as a, as a business because you can get better analytics. You can get better engagement. You control these channels. So for me at this point, I feel it's very much a no brainer for every entrepreneur to use it given the API is extremely simple. Some people still think about the build versus buy decision. They feel like one way we pitch it is to say, just focus on your core features. And then what we realized is a lot of customers rightfully so come back and say, but I think notifications are core to our product. So now I don't want to say that use it only if you think it's non-core. I would say build it at yourself if you are ready to commit a team to working on it constantly. Because the number of notification surfaces, the user expectations, the visibility you want to build for customer support, all of that is so much work that you can certainly build this yourself. It's not like AI or machine learning hard, but it's just a lot of work. If you're willing to commit a team to it, to work on it at least half the time, you can build it in-house, but otherwise you should definitely use something like Magic Bell. It's funny because just even from you know, the fact that I have service companies that I run separate from the podcast, we have multiple channels where it is that mix of communication coming from email. Literally, I have one client who just signals me, you know, uses, I'm like, why signal? Okay, yes, paranoid. Um, but like, all the different ways of communicating and trying to keep the threads straight, trying to you know, develop and understand where the best ways to bring them the value from what we can do 
that is a very difficult thing. And yes, you, know, you can always have a team depending on where you are. But my thought process in looking at Magic Bell was more around the idea of like, okay, what extra value could we focus our time on by having this capability be more straightforward versus ad hoc, which is, you know, where we are. So that's what I found was so interesting about what you're doing. We're spending so much energy just trying to figure out how to get it done that if we knew it could be done, yes, it may not be 100% exactly the way we want it, but if it could be done smoother, then that same amount of energy of like, oh, what about this? And we signed up and is this set up? Oh, why is the deal? Ah, what's going on with the settings? Could be focused on, oh, how do we make sure we capture this? And how do we make sure that we expand upon what we can offer them in response. That I felt was really interesting because it just makes our ability, incremental difficulty of running a business, even a simple service business is, oh, okay, I can take away a few percentage points of that incremental difficulty. Ooh, that's nice. Exactly. I think you have so many problems as, as it is as an entrepreneur, challenges to solve. If you can help not solving a few of them, then you should just get that help. And I've, I've myself like, you know, painfully learned that over the years, like from the last 10 person in match. And I thought I dropped the entire service before using it and it built. And it's only over time you realize the build versus buy cost. It's never in the moment. It's always over time. It's, it always is takes you by surprise, honestly. So we'll make sure we have your Twitter and we'll make sure. We'll have Magic Bell in the show notes and on our social and the email we send out. But if someone is interested, should they just go to the site? What should they do? Yeah. So, you know, we are engineers ourselves. So we love products that we can sign up for. And we have a free account for up to 100 monthly active users. I encourage everybody to just sign up, build a quick POC, join our Slack community if they want to learn from other users. You can actually get something up and running in less than an hour and ship it to your customers, and then improve it from there. So I'd say sign up and let us know what you think. All right. And we'll be having our team on there soon. So my team is probably going, what are you saying? Hannah, thank you so much. Yeah, I really, really appreciate you coming on the show today. It's always fun to talk to another expat living in Spain. We have this lovely world. But yeah, thank you for sharing your journey today. It's really, really cool happy to do it this was a very enjoyable conversation so thank you so much wonderful this episode of beyond eight figures is over but your journey as an entrepreneur continues so if we can help you with anything please just let us know and if you like this episode please share it with someone who might learn from it until next time keep growing and find the joy in your journey this is aj and i'll be talking to you soon bye bye